This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bioproven. Get what you paid for. The nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Ken Ropp is a 7th generation farmer. With only 450 acres and milking 60 Jersey cows, he's built a business that has survived and thrived in central Illinois. The lessons Ken has learned are ones that can apply to many farms of all sizes. That's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, and it's brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. In 2020, I had the chance to use a new corn nitrogen product firsthand in my fields, Pivot Bio Proven. Pivot Bio Proven adheres to the root of the corn plant creating a mutually beneficial nitrogen-generating partnership that stays strong all the way through harvest. It's the weather-resistant and sustainable way to achieve more predictable, more productive yields than ever before. After a successful trial run in 2020, I hope you'll follow me on an expanded use of Pivot Bioproven in the 2021 growing season. In fact, I just used Pivot Bioproven this week on the corn I planted. If you're like me and want to make sure your corn has the nitrogen it needs, whether or not, then check out Pivot Bioproven. It'll change the way you think about nitrogen. You can learn more at pivotbio.com. As you know, we feature a variety of people from many locations across the country on this program. That often requires a phone call to gather these interviews, but when possible, I like to meet people on the farm or their place of work, and that was the case for this week's show. I was in central Illinois and met Ken Ropp, one of the family owners of Ropp Jersey Cheese. This interview, though, is about much more than a small dairy that found a way to build and grow their business while milking just 60 Jersey cows. It's a story about how other farms might consider moving part or all of their business closer to the end user and how Ken and his family have adapted to the many changes around them to keep their farm prosperous. Ken, give me a little background about your dairy here. You've been in business for quite a while. Certainly what you do today may be a little different than what you began with, but kind of give me the family lineage here. So the family lineage, we take a lot of static because we're located on Rop Road. And so when I introduce myself, a lot of times they, they'll say right away, how did you get a road named after you? Well, the original plat books from McLean County, the road was named Rop Road. And then we went to rural routes, and now we're back to 911. But in the mid to late 1800s, there was 10 to 12 locations of Rops here on the road. And it, it's just uh, the migration process happened and started here. And we're a little bit farther to the north, about a mile and a half. But as time goes, we broke the frontier, and we still farm that original acreage there of about 450 acres. So really, when you're talking to people from town, they're looking at you like, man, that's a lot of acreage. But nowadays, they don't realize that I'm really surrounded by two other farmers that have 10,000-plus acres. And so it's a lot of explanation of, well, that's how the cheese business came about. I wasn't ready to compete against these guys. And that's how this all came about. Was the family always in the dairy business? We've always had Jersey cows. And when I say that, roughly four generations of shipping grade A milk. Before that, it was the old McDonald's setup where you had a few cows, you had a few hogs, you had a few sheep, a few chickens. But the dairy is really what came out of it for the ROPs. 
why Jersey? And why have you stayed with Jersey? Because, of course, that's a little bit unique, but I'm betting there's a, the reason behind it. Well, first off, we're uh, too poor to raise Holsteins and too proud to raise goats. So that's how the Jerseys came about for us. But really, our family has been involved in service work and some politics and things like that, too. But my father and my uncle enjoyed showing cattle. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't enjoy showing cattle, but I'm a firm believer that we try and do something a little bit more here on the farm with it as versus being out on the road trying to put together earnings from shows because it's getting harder. There's some high-dollar cows out there. But the Jersey cow has always had a, a great advantage over the other breeds because it's higher in fat and protein, and that worked out great for us on the cheese business. Your rule of thumb is 10 pounds of milk makes one pound of cheese. For us, it's about 8 to 1. And so I've got a distinct advantage there. The thing that would be different is if I was bottling milk, I'd probably look more at the Holstein than I would the Jersey because you're going to get a lot more volume, and it's closer to a 3.5 that you want to you want to put in the bottle. So give me then the evolution that you get to making cheese here because that relates to you coming back to the farm and kind of taking a look at the business, right? Sure. And people ask, what is my background? Was, you know, have we made cheese for eons around here? No. Um, I graduated from the University of Illinois in 1993 and went into sales for seven years. Came back home in 2000 to join mom and dad in the operation. At the time, we were at record all-time high milk prices. But within a six-month time frame, we were at record lows. And it's just like anybody else that's on the business side. When you go in and talk to your accountants or your bankers and you're trying to figure out how to take that roller coaster out of play, We've got to do something. We knew we needed to do something to add value to our own product. And after a little bit of studying, the cheese process was was born here on Rop Farms. Well, talk about that then, because that, I'm sure, isn't a decision that just happens overnight. That takes a little planning. So how did you begin to work through the decision-making process that you wanted to do that? The decision-making process for us was... Where can we compete? Where can we find some advantages in this? Central Illinois is a barren landscape when it comes to dairy cattle. Really, there's only four dairies left here in McLean County now, and we're still one of them. Now, I'm a true believer that if we wouldn't have done something to add value, that we would have been out of business 10, 12 years ago. But it was something for us that once we started putting pencil to paper, and that pencil needed a big eraser on it at times, the numbers really did look good. What we did was we made a shift. We sold some ground. We kind of put all our eggs in one basket. And, uh, you know, as a family, it was a decision between my parents, Ray and Carol, and my wife, Becky, and I. We had to be all in. And so it, w- it was a risk. And it it's one of those things that I see the numbers coming back now. We've been very blessed in the last couple of years, believe it or not, even through this COVID process, to kind of surface get through that strainer and now we know that we're doing the right thing and now it's just building on that so how do you know that it's the right thing and i know that's hard to answer but you know dairy dairy's a tough business i mean you've experienced it so how do you do you figure out and say okay this is the right thing this is going to work i'm sure as you mentioned you had your doubts along the way not only did people doubt us but we started to wonder at times too and i i think that's that's all part of the process for us is how does this growth look what does our pattern look not only 90 days out in the covid process here 
But where are we going to be standing at a year from now? What's our landscape going to look like with the restaurants and the grocery stores and that too? Because there's still a lot of question marks out there as far as who's going to be left standing. And then we get into the long term. You know, you sit down with your accountants and your bankers and you're looking at a three-year process or a five-year process. And I'd like to say that I'm really good at that. But I've had to learn a lot along the way too. The nice part is, is we've been able to adapt and we, because of our size, we can adapt quickly. It's not that I'm running a huge business with several hundred employees. When we need to talk, I can go out and talk to my employees one-on-one and say, this is what we need to do. You know, and we can kick rocks and have those kind of discussions. Yeah. I don't think that we've gotten into it yet. How big is it as far as employees and number of cows? Has that stayed relatively constant over this time that you've been in the cheese business? It has stayed relatively constant and, and with the jerseys as well. Right now, we're milking right at 60 cows. They're all registered jerseys. We've got about 110 head total on the farm. That includes our replacement heifers and such and dry cows. Uh, We've got 11 employees, and that's outside of family. And so I've got a couple people that are out on the road making deliveries. Really, this process is all start to finish for us. Not only do we milk the cows, we make the cheese, we package the cheese, but we also do all our own distribution. And so we spend a lot of time out there. And that's the nice part about being small is when I walk into that location, I'm talking to a deli manager. They want to know that they can talk to Ken or they can talk to Ray, that they're not having to go through a channel, which a lot of times we get fed up with these channels as customers. I I know it, too, because I always have to remind myself I'm on that end as well. What has made then your product stand out compared to others? Because those deli managers, grocery stores, different people, they've got a lot of choices. So what makes you stand out and they keep carrying your product over time? You know, number one, I think, is that close contact that we can have with these individuals. The other part that is a big advantage for me over the distributors are coming in the back door to talk to these guys, my price has stayed the same for years. And so when they call Ken, they know that they can order 20 pieces of this, 100 pieces of that. There's no set limits on anything, but they also know what they're paying up front for it. So there's not a bunch of fluctuation in having to do a whole spiel on numbers. It's just very cut and dry for these guys. And that keeps us real tight with them. You know, when we talk about direct-to-consumer, a lot of times that you position yourself as maybe I'm a premium product or it's a local product. How do you position your product then uh, is, to compete in the marketplace? Yeah, it, and that's a great question because we've had to adapt a little bit more to become a stronger voice as far as the natural on-farm local product. There's been buzzwords out there in our industry for years now, whether it's uh, organic or do you have an A2 product and, and things like that. Come on out to the farm, meet Ken, meet Ray, see how the cows are milked, see how the cheese process works. That's the neat part about it is people can see this step by step. They know exactly how this is working. And we take that a step further. We talk about the breweries, and we're, we're feeding spent grain to our cows from our local breweries. And in turn, the full circle process of this, we're making a lot of fresh curds that these chefs are breading and deep frying that's normally their number one appetizer on their menus. Do you have a lot of people that want to come out? We, we think about that today. We hear that, but uh, anecdotally, but is it happening? Are people wanting to come out and see how their, where their food comes from, so to speak? You know, it, it, we do. We have a lot of people that want to come out. We've had to change things a little bit. We had a, uh, a circumstance happen on the farm Oh, about eight years ago, 
where a youngster got scratched by a cat. And my insurance company, who of course stepped in and took care of things, said, Ken, you got to make a decision. You're either in the tourism business or you're in the cheese production business. Unfortunately, our society has become so litigious that we have to be cautious, even on the small end, because we've always got to be watching out for ourselves, too. And so as we continue to grow, we get more and more people that are looking at us for these tours. And we've got school children. We've got adults. I love seeing the adults come in because we'll have retirement homes that come out with their shuttle buses and just make a lap through to see the baby calves. And they'll stop in at the store, get a bowl of ice cream, try a couple pieces of cheese and go back. But the tourism business is just starting to ramp up. I've got one individual that all he's going to do this summer is take care of tours. And so on certain days, it's nice and quiet around here. On other days, you don't know what hit you. And that's just part of small business, too. And, you know, during this COVID process, I understand the mentality of I've been cooped up at home. And so when you see the minivans pull in and the doors open and the kids go running out to go see the baby calves or play with the puppy dog or the goats or whatever they want to do, I get it. And, you know, we're all in this thing together. We've mentioned COVID a time or two. How did you make it through that? Because, I mean, we had stories of milk being dumped and so forth, but how did it impact you? Were you did you have a wave that you had to ride through as far as product? We did have a wave. And to answer how it affected, impacted Rop Farms or Rop Jersey Cheese immediately is we lost 50% of our business in the blink of an eye. And that's with the shutdown really of our restaurants and wineries. So we saw a little bit more um, supply demand come out of our grocery end, which was great. That helped offset a little bit of that. But the, the conversation happened last April. I can remember Dad and I are milking cows in the morning and uh, I, t- I told Dad, I don't know if we can make it through this. And within about two weeks, I had received a phone call from an individual. Why I took that call, I'll never understand. But they called me on my mobile and they said, hey, we've got the opportunity to put a bid together for these USDA food boxes. Would you have interest in supplying some product for them? And, you know, I didn't even hesitate. I'm like, sure. So what we did was we put our bid out there, and within 48 hours, that bid was accepted. And then it just jumped from there. And when I say that, we were looking at about 5,000 pieces of cheese on a weekly basis was our original bid. But the Chicago pantries got hold of that bid, too. And we went from 5,000 pieces in 48 hours to over 90,000 pieces two days after that. So a lot of things changed from a Wednesday to a Sunday night. And there was a lot of hair pulling, a lot of head scratching. How are we going to do this exactly? The nice part about it is, is through the industry and over the, over the years, I've made some friends that could help out in that too. And so we went from having the coolers busting at the seams with 20-pound blocks of cheese to literally nothing left on the farm. And it's, I say this in a, in a we were blessed with that. You know, and it's a strange happening that happened to us because I'm one of the few guys when I walk in and talk to my bankers or my accountants now, they've got a smile on their face because there's a lot of people that can't smile through this process. And I understand that. So we don't talk a whole lot about it in the simple fact that I don't want to sound like it was just us. It was a project. It was a group of people that really put this thing together, and it helped a lot of local people out. What people didn't see was... 
we were cutting cheese here 24 hours a day. I'd have six people on a shift, three different shifts going, just to get enough product to fill these bids. And it's amazing how that came together. And these were all people that lost their jobs in the restaurants here in Bloomington Normal. And so I was able to give them something back. And that's the true essence of how this program was supposed to work. Not only for the customer out there that's in line needing food, but helping these people that have lost positions here in town, hoping that they can get something back in the long run, wherever the long run ends. Well, we think about then having to, to move product, but on the other end, you're milking 60 cows. Do you ever think about, hey, we should add cows as attempting to try to get bigger in this process? And that's a great question because what we've had to do, because we are small, is take each of these things step by step, and I don't want to say throw money at situations, but as we're looking to build numbers, we've got a dairy barn that was built in 1968. And we've adapted it a couple times. I'm done adapting it. What I need to do, and this is our next step, is really put up a really nice barn with a feed area, things like that. You know, our cows, we like to let them come and go. The only time they're locked in the barn is two hours a day while we're milking morning and night. Other than that, they can go out to the pasture, they can go to the feed bunks, they can do whatever they want. But in order for me to increase cow numbers, we need to do some more, really tear down, rebuild some things, uh, steps that are out there. And I, I see a lot more changes happening here in the next two years. Thinking about ag as, as a whole, normally we wouldn't say, hey, having a 60-cal dairy is something that's going to be sustainable and work, but you make it work, so should more of us in agriculture or maybe even young people that want to get in and maybe they just have a small acreage or something, should more people be thinking about doing something like this? Of course, not right around you to take your business, of course, but other places, but you've made it work and you seem to enjoy it, so should more people think about it? That's a great question, Andrew. I love competition, so go ahead. We can build as many dairies around here as we need. I have fun with people, just yesterday, a great example. I had two guys stop in here at the store that are from just outside of the Chicago suburbs. And they've bought a a meat locker that is pretty much abandoned. They're re- redoing this meat locker. They're putting in a retail shop. We're seeing these kinds of things happen. People will come and shoot questions. Can we carry your product first off? Or what do you think of this? What do you think of that? The part that I'm grateful for is that we were a little bit ahead of the curve. People thought we were crazy. Sometimes we thought we were crazy. But I'm sure as heck glad I'm not trying to start this out right now during this COVID thing, too. You know, you compound that on top of it. The thing that's big for us that I have no doubt about is the customer wants to know where their food came from and how it was produced. I don't think we're going to ever see that change. And through this process here in the last year, there's been more emphasis on that. We've done home delivery. We've had people do the curbside thing. They know how everything's done here. Whether they feel safe or not, totally up to those individuals. But they're still catering to us. So we cater to them. And we adapt and change as we can, too. Well, you mentioned you have a couple farmers around you that are 10,000 acre plus, but it it looks like to me, obviously, there's room for both of you all to operate side by side and make a living out of it. 
Very much so. And part of my mindset is a little different than the previous generations. I don't know if I'll be farming the ground two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now. I'm going to leave that up to my, my neighbors because this is where I need to specialize in. Is And, you know, and that's kind of my my forte, my deal is I like going out and visiting with these customers. I love selling. And it's our own product, so I've got a lot of heart into it. But I don't know where my place is going to be on a tractor or a combine in the future. Well, that's something else that I bring out in some of these interviews is a skill set. Do you think that you were the right person then to do that? Because some farmers would say, I don't really want to have to deal with going out and trying to sell. But it sounds like that was a natural skill set you had and you liked doing it. I I enjoy the heck out of it. You know, and I, I use the expression, I could sell ice to the Eskimo. And that's just the way that I'm built. And I totally agree. There's people out there that need to be the worker bees. And there's people out there that can go out and do the sales part. There's people that are much better managers than I am, I'm sure. But at the same time, I take a lot of pride in the fact that I can sit down and talk to my employees. I am a pinball a lot of times during the day. But they know that if they need to talk to Ken, they can get hold of me. So looking forward... What gives you optimism and what gives you pessimism in this business? I'm sure it, it probably, as you say, pinballs back and forth between those two all the time, too. There is room for growth for us as a business. The question is, we're going to hit that point here real soon where all of a sudden we're not only going to have to take a jump, but it's going to be a major jump. And I think that a lot of small businesses are faced with that. It's not because of greed or anything else. It's because the market's going to demand more out of me. How much more can I do in this current situation that I'm in? And I like being able to talk about that because those are positive things. Those are all positive problems, if you want to call it that. The pessimistic side of me, I'm going to be 50 years old this summer. My daughter is 18, and my wife has got a great job off the farm. Um, The question is, How are these parts all going to come together, and who am I doing this for? Because this is a family business, and I don't know what those answers are. My daughter might turn around and say, hey, I've I've got some interest, Dad. But I let her do her own thing, too, and, you know, she's she's been thriving through this process. Her freshman year of college, it's fun to watch. But uh, the demand is always going to be there. I'm going to come back to that because that customer wants to be able to, to come out and play with the baby calves and watch this process and and let us explain it to them. And so that demand for that product is there. That's the core of this business. You still enjoy being up at 4 a.m. to milk the cows? 4.30 is even better, but yes. <laughs> I I enjoy being up. I'm, I am a morning person, and so I'm one of those that I'm up during the day, but people don't realize by 8 o'clock at night I'm done. You know, And it's just the way that it is. The other neat part about knowing that I've got the right people in the right places is my phone doesn't blow up with the calls and the texts and things like that. I've got people out there that are working for me that are taking care of the things, and that's a nice feeling. You know, For me, it's sales. I try and spend as much time out on the road seeing people as much as I can. Well, are you always having to develop new contacts, or do you, at this point, do you, I mean, you always want to be progressively minded, but are you at a point now where you can just kind of maintain a lot of what you have? We're, we are in that maintenance area right now as far as our supply demand. Mm-hmm. The interesting part is, Andrew, I, th- I think I'm, I'm still scratching my head on what this is going to look like another six months from now, 
coming out of COVID because I'm seeing the restaurants come back into play. I'm seeing the wineries start to come back into play. But I'm also still hesitant because I've got some friends out there that I'm not sure if they're going to get back into play or not. And it's just part of the process. Before we wind up, how can people find you? Obviously, you have a store here, but they may be listening both near and far. So how do they find you and your product? So they can find us not only out here at 2676 Rop Road in Normal, Illinois, but you can go to ropcheese.com, check out our website, feel free to email, call, stop by. You know, And it's one of those things, if you want to talk shop, give me a call ahead of time. I'll do my best to be here and, and we'll work something out. If you find yourself in central Illinois, drop by and see Ken and his store. It's not a big place, but it is a place that shows you just how much can be done with what many would consider a smaller farm and dairy in numbers of acres and cows, yet one that is supporting the livelihoods of a number of individuals. We began planting corn this week. It's interesting planting a crop that could fetch over $5.50 per bushel for December delivery right now. Should we be selling some bushels at that price or using a strategy to protect it? Perhaps we'll get into that on an upcoming show, but you can shoot me a message with your thoughts. I will admit we've sold some already. Be sure to connect with us and Farming the Countryside on Facebook, as well as our daily American Countryside broadcasts on Facebook, Twitter, or your local radio station. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot BioProven. Get what you paid for. The nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com.